had you come to terms with the fact that you might be blind in your right eye? Yeah, at some yeah, point? yeah, I really was. I didn't. Um, it was more important to me to to take care of the team than it was about my eyesight in my right eye. Wow. I mean, that's that's the the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Well, this is the rest of my. They're they're the rest of my life too. The players, you know, that's the fans, the the organization. I mean, I just feel like I have a lot of responsibility to an awful lot of people, and if I can help them in any way possible, and then, then I'm going to do it. And and I understand it's you know the long term effect on everything, but. You know, I've, I still figure I'm going to have one good eye and I'm going to be okay. And the fans deserve, the, the Minnesota Vikings fans deserve to win and win big. You know, they've been through a lot of, lot of different scenarios, a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I'm going to give them everything I can. You have reached Pod Level Midnight, a conversation show about sports, movies, and whatever else we find along the way. I'm your host, Josiah Dury. Let's go. Welcome in, everybody, to another uh, Vikings episode of Pod Level Midnight. Ryan Lundin is here, and we're here to do a bit of a, a retrospective on the Mike Zimmer era. So, um, as everyone knows, Mike Zimmer was let go this past week, along with, surprisingly, somewhat surprisingly, Rick Spielman, which was, I think, pleasantly pleasant surprise for us, at least as we talked about last week with the way that Rick kind of got the Vikings in the situation as much as Mike Zimmer did. But, um, yeah, we're going to focus on the Mike Zimmer era, the eight years that he was in Minnesota, and kind of the the ups and downs and some of the what ifs of those eight years. So we're going to do that. But first, just want to, Ryan, get your comments on this past week, some of the news that came out, the the firing of both Zimmer and Spielman and kind of a reset for the Vikings organization. So what are your thoughts on what's happened so far this week? Yeah, I think, like you said, it was surprising with all the reports that said Rick was going to not be the GM, but was going to stay with the organization. Because I think he has been here, what, 16 years? Um it was surprising to hear that it was just straight up. He was gone. Um, and, and for us, I do, I do think it's for the better um, just to get a, a totally new regime in town and, and see what they can do um, for Zim. I've always been a big Zim guy. He's going to probably go down as top three coach for the Vikings um, to this point. And um I, I hope he does great. I hope he retires and hangs out. I think he's got a grandkid now and just kind of goes out as he did. But I think it was very apparent with all of the news that came out after he was let go. Um, kind of the Kendrick's comment of saying that we don't need to be a fear run organization, that his, his message has, has grown stale, even to the veterans that were in the room. Um, and it, it's just kind of time for a new voice to to lead these vikings yeah yeah it was definitely time and with the results they've had over the last couple of years i don't think it's too much of a surprise for me like those comments and you know i think that we need to separate out like there's some comments from the players and stuff that's been you know reported and stuff which i think is in line with i mean we've always known mike zimmer is like a jerk, you know, or like a, just considered like a hard guy. Right. Uh, but that yeah, part would. of that makes him lovable too. Right. So I'm not surprised by any of that. Um, but I would say also like, just take everything with a grain of salt that's coming from like media members. I think the beat, the Vikings beat people do a great job, but also like Mike Zimmer also was very hard on them for many years. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of like personal feelings and stuff getting in there too. So for me, none of this stuff changes. Like we've always known who Zimmer is and that's what made him a great coach, but that's what, you know, when you're not winning, that stuff doesn't work anymore. And that's what kind of made everything fall apart the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. I think like you said, Mike Zimmer, I wouldn't say it is a jerk, but Mike Zimmer. Well, I'm trying like to use is, appropriate language is, is football all the time. Like yeah. holiday party, regardless, Zimmer is worried about practice reps and, and, and everything. Um, and never could just kind of disconnect and, and hang out with the team. Not to the Adam Gase level. I don't think he was 2 a.m. in the in the office watching film and as much coffee as, as that was reported. But 
Zimmer definitely never changed who he was. And, and I can appreciate that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the, the eight years of Zimmer. Um, quickly, we're not going to get into like the various candidates and stuff for GM. We don't really know anything about all these names are new to me for GM, both the um, guys and gals that are in the running for that. And then um, for head coach. But the one thing I'll say that was interesting that as I was listening to some stuff this week was, I think it was caller said, um, was just talking about like Rick Spielman as a GM and how Rick was came from scouting and was all about scouting players and didn't understand as much like positional value, which I think is true as far as he's wanting to get talent at whatever position and values that more than realizing that some positions are more important than others when it looks, when you look at the salary cap and those sorts of things. So, um, so someone that's coming from more of that um, salary cap understanding of positional value and those sorts of things I think would be good. That's obviously an oversimplification, but just an interesting thing I hadn't necessarily thought of before this week, but I think is true as far as kind of what did Rick in was he could find really good players, but sometimes they weren't at the positions that were most important. And so then you pay those guys and then you have problems at more important positions. Yeah. And I think the, the two position groups that really did, did Rick in are going to be quarterback. Um, you could say he never really found his franchise quarterback um, through the draft anyways. Um, and his last stitch effort was Kirk cousins and, and that is going to be what it is. And then the offensive line has, has been a, an issue for as long as I can remember through the Zimmer era and um, just never, even though we committed all of the, the high draft capital to that, it, it never really turned into a strength that it should have been or, or even become average. I think various rankings had them in kind of the 25 to 29 range this year. So, yep. yeah. And he did a great job of finding like a franchise running back and franchise linebackers, but those are two of the quote unquote least, I mean, <laughs> depending on how you've like, you can get too far in that direction too, with like running backs are still important, but like, so I don't, I'm not fully on the like never pay a running back train, but to some extent, like you have to understand which positions are, are most important in modern football. So um, yeah, with that, we'll get into, into Zimmer. I'm sure there'll be more news coming the next few weeks about GM and coach. I think realistically we have our favorites, but whoever the Vikings hire, we're going to talk ourselves into it and be on board and be excited about the next era of Vikings football. So um, with that, let's get into, into Zim. All right. So Mike Zimmer was hired in 2014. So coming off the 2013 season, uh, Leslie Frazier was fired. They went, I don't have the record down. I think it was five, 10 and one. Is that right? Um, really collapsed. Like that, yeah. yeah. Really collapsed as far as on defense. And of course, Frazier is supposed to be a defensive guy. All that um, just wasn't working. Leslie Frazier known as one of the nicest guys, but just, I don't think was cut out to be head coach, at least at that time. So heading into a new era, Mike Zimmer comes in one of those guys that had been like a, you know, an NFL lifer. And people said like, he's, should have had his time to be a head coach a long time ago. People didn't give him a chance. Some of what we were talking about with him being kind of a hard guy was what held him back. I think um, with whether it's interviews or whatever else, but the Vikings took a chance on him and hired him in 2014 and to start off that year. So, you know, he's taken over a team that had not had much success the last few years. Um, they, their first two draft picks they had two picks in the first round, I think traded back up into the first round. But um, Anthony Barr with the first pick famously, and then uh, Teddy Bridgewater with the 32nd pick in the draft. So, so those were kind of the two franchise cornerstones heading into the Zimmer era. And that year um, with would have been Matt Castle starting at the beginning, um, right. they ended up going seven and nine. Teddy took over like week four, I think. Um, I was at the game, um, his first start, which was awesome. And they won big against the Falcons. Um, but yeah, ended up going seven and nine. They also had that season, the Adrian Peterson suspension, which was early in the season as well. Like after week one or two, I think it was pretty early. Um, so he missed most of the season and for each of these seasons, we're just going to put the kind of the scoring offense and scoring defense. I know that's not the best, always the best metric, but I think it's gives us a good general idea, at least of how the team did. So they had the number 11 scoring defense, which is up from the worst scoring defense in the NFL the year before um, with, you know, a lot of the same pieces other than Anthony Barr. And then the number 20 offense. So, I mean, just a, a good building year for sure. They had some fun moments um, with Teddy taking over and there was the Jarius Wright game. 
um, in overtime. And there were a few other, you know, exciting wins and stuff. So it just felt like they were building something, but what else do you remember kind of from that season? Um, I just remember even going seven and nine compared to kind of the previous years with Leslie Frazier, just how much more excitement there was around the Vikings. Um, and it was something where you didn't expect the Vikings to give up 30 points a game, like, which I don't know if it was that bad, but I just remember at the end of the Leslie Frazier time with, um, I don't know, Chris Cook or whoever, whoever we had in, in the secondary there, um, just couldn't figure it out. It seemed like we could slow down the run, but we really couldn't stop the pass. And, and Zimmer came in and, and changed the scheme, changed the defense and made us just much more excited about Vikings football in general. For sure. I'm looking, I'm trying to find, I don't think it was this year. I think it was the following year when they brought in Terrence Newman, um, which was a big addition as well in the secondary. And then as we get to, you know, I don't think there was anything too significant other than just felt like, I know for that season, it was like, I remember the lot, we went to the last game of the season against the bears at TCF and they won. And it was like, it's just like, we feel like we have our quarterback and we have our coach, you know, for the next several years. I mean, we'll get into what happened there, but um, that's just a, you know, no matter how your record finishes that season, that's a great thing to feel like you're building on. And I think there's a lot of optimism um, heading into the following season, which was also when we became season ticket holders. So we were certainly bought in as well. Right. And I think that that final bears game you mentioned was, was Adam Thielen's coming out party. Mm -hmm. I believe he had a, I don't know if it was that game that he had a touchdown and the, the punt block, um, but he definitely was not, not the Adam Thielen that he is now. So yeah, getting into, into 2015, um, the Vikings add, this is probably Rick Spielman's best draft. Um, definitely. It's going to be up there with, with a, kind of the best drafts ever with, with various GMs, but they add Trey Waynes, um, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, Diggs, um, and they're getting Hunter and Diggs in the third and, and fifth round, respectively. Um, they go on, and I think all of all of them contributed as rookies. For sure, yeah. If, if, I, if I remember I don't know correctly. if Daniil started or not, but um, he was mixing in for sure. Right, yep. And so they go on 11-5 um, and five to win the NFC North, and I believe um, that was week 17 at Lambeau mm-hmm. um, yep. with the Teddy Bridgewater left-handed, <laughs> left-handed pass. Um, but the Vikings had the number five defense at, at that time um, and got the offense all the way up to number 10 um, with Teddy, Adrian, kind of Diggs and Thielen. Rudy still around at that point. Mm-hmm. And then um, winning the NFC North, they get the, the home playoff game versus Seattle uh, with – and, and we all know what happened there, I guess. Yeah. The thing, the crazy thing about looking through some of these years is to me, how quickly the Vikings, Mike Zimmer put together the core of his defense with this, this draft, especially you got three, you know, three new starters along with bar the following year. And really, I don't know, eight or nine of those guys were going to be the starters for the next four or five years, um, you know, give or take a Tom Johnson or, you know, a slot corner or something like that, but they were, they had so much continuity on that defense and to, you know, bring back every starter every year, pretty much, um, you know, mix in another safety or whatever. But other than that, you know, with these young guys, Barr, Waynes, Kendricks, Hunter, um, you know, Everson, you have Xavier Rhodes, you have Harrison Smith and Lynn Vall as well. Captain Marlin for a bit. So I just, I mean, with the way maybe part of it is whiplash with the last two years, how they've just have like remade the defense on the fly. But I just think that continuity is crazy to look back on how, how long they had that same core core defense in place and how much success they had over those five years. And it really started here in 2015, which is what, you know, led them to, to the playoffs. And really, you know, we started to understand what a Mike Zimmer coached team, you know, should look like too. Right. And I think the, the, the biggest thing I took from 2015 is that the, the team was built to, to win the way Mike Zimmer wanted to win. They were going to be really good on defense and the offense was going to not turn the ball over. Um, 
but on the flip side of that, also not go three and out all the time. It seemed like this defense wasn't wasn't great. They weren't going to go out and, and put 40 points on, on everybody, but um, you knew what they were going to do week in and week out, and, and Zim knew what he could count on them for as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I don't know why, but this one of the games that sticks out from that year was the the Thursday night game at Arizona where they had, I don't even remember who all was out, but they had a bunch of guys out. Um, I think Anthony Harris had his first start in that game, but a bunch of guys on defense that were out. Arizona was a really good team that year and they went in and they just played extremely well for how shorthanded they were and may have won, if not for a, I believe it was a North Turner um, end around to Mike, <laughs> to Mike Wallace that was fumbled in the second half. I remember, but um, yeah, they had, yeah, just um, seeing the the depth of the defense and the way that they performed in that game, I think we all felt confident that not that they were going to make a Super Bowl run, but had they won that game against Seattle, maybe they can make it interesting against um, against Arizona as well the following week. Yeah, I, I it's tough to kind of play the what if game, but if Blair Mal- Blair Walsh makes that field goal, I like our chances in Arizona to at least keep it close, especially with those starters, and then say you were able to knock them off. That was the year um, the Panthers went to the Super Bowl with, with Cam and they had their, their great defense and stuff, but Zimmer, I, I guess I feel like matched up well against those teams. So would have been cool to see what would happen, but, but we all know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for us. It's not hard to play the what if game. This is all we do. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that was 2015. One of our favorite seasons for sure. Um, I know we talked about it a lot when we did our, um, some of our favorite games that we've attended as season ticket holders. So just a really fun year building, um, not necessarily expecting them to win the division, but they come in and do it. Teddy on the rise, all that, um, which leads us to 2016. So we're going to, as we go here, we'll identify a couple of different, um, quote unquote, like fork in the road moments that, um, you know, where we do play the what if game as far as had things gone differently, you know, are these things are that defined the Mike Zimmer era, um, these moments. And the first one, and probably one of the most significant is August 30th of 2016. So this is after the, um, one of the last preseason games, it was after the third preseason game. Um, of course, Teddy Bridgewater, um, has his, his devastating leg injury in practice, um, leaves in an ambulance and, um, is lost for the season and really for more than a year. Um, with a dislocated knee, torn at ACL, and a lot of other stuff, um, which was you know, a scary moment as it was happening, as we're getting reports and stuff, and it was clearly more serious than your typical torn ACL. Um, but also just heading into that season, I think both of us and a lot of Vikings fans were expecting Teddy Bridgewater to make the leap, and that's not with – that wasn't – we weren't doing that blindly. We were seeing things um, in training camp and in some of the preseason games as far as him – heading into his third year, um, you know, still in the same offense as well and really starting to um, potentially take the take the step to that next level. Um, and I don't think it's fair to judge him maybe based on what he's done since then because of this injury, even though he's still been, you know, a solid NFL quarterback. So, so that was the moment um, where, you know, Mike Zimmer was talking after that he never thought he'd have another quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater in his career, all that. Um, just a a devastating blow for the organization and for the Mike Zimmer era and one that, I mean, really they weren't ever able to continue with what they had been building with, with Teddy. So um, I know we kind of rehashed this on a previous podcast as far as where we were at the moment, but um, what do you think, how do you think that that changed, you know, what was building in the Mike Zimmer era? I think um, for me, I, I wasn't really privy to all the reports and stuff. In, in the moment. Cause I was on my, my honeymoon just recently after my wedding, but it, it really, I think, I think this is the number one kind of moment that changed the direction or uh, trajectory of, of Zimmer's career because he had a quarterback that he trusted. And even if Teddy kind of continues on the path that he was on, I don't think we were going to pay him 28 million a year, whatever top quarterback money was at the time. I think everybody was kind of in on, we're going to save a little money at the quarterback position and, and have some limitations there. 
but the limitations are more than made up for it on the defensive side of the ball. When Teddy gets injured, it's kind of the first panic trade for, for Rick um, with the Bradford trade to, to get a quarterback in the door and then, and go, which was, I think that was understandable. I mean, it didn't work out, but you know, you saw, and it it ended up being 2017 when this team peaked, but this was a team on the rise for sure. And you couldn't just waste a season with Sam Bradford. I mean, I'm sorry, with um, Sean Hill. Right. Um, So you needed to bring in someone, obviously it didn't work out too well with Bradford. um, But I can understand that in hindsight, maybe you don't do it or you look at other options, but um, I think at the time it was an understandable move based on just the, the talent that they had and trying to make the most of, of the window that was there. So this was also heading into us bank stadium. So the stadium opening, uh, of course we had the first game there, um, against the Packers, which was an awesome night. They ended up finishing eight and eight after a five and oh start, which was very exciting. Um, I believe that was when school to the bowl dropped. If you remember that <laughs> uh, right before the, right after the bye before uh, the five and all start went away. So the one thing with this season is if Mike Zimmer or whoever is close to Mike Zimmer ever writes like a tell all book of like his time with the Vikings, first of all, it's probably gonna have to be multiple volumes because of all the things that happened, but this is one that's there's been rumblings about, but never really, we've never gotten the full story, which is what happened in soldier field when the Vikings lost to the bears. Um, I don't have the exact week down, but this was within as things were kind of unraveling um, after the five and zero start. This is the night that Mike Zimmer hurt his eye and got his eye like slashed by the play sheet. Um, but also after this game is when Norv Turner like unexpectedly resigned. So there's always been like whispers about something that happened that night or that after that game, I don't know what happened, but it's just very, that's what I would want to be a fly on the wall for is what happened that night. Yeah. I mean, the, the rumblings go, go even further in saying that Mike Zimmer's eye injury wasn't anything until Norv got a hold of him. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think the tell all um, I'm not the huge conspiracy theorist, but I'd like to also make sure that Teddy's injury that we don't have a, a person to, to blame for yeah, that, that was injury. The thing too. Um, but yeah, the, the Vikings tell all would do very well. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're just talking about the Mike Zimmer era, but you can go back to, you know, love boat or the Wizenator or whatever you want. So <laughs> never a dull moment. That's for sure. And I know Zimmer got to experience that once he came here and see what it's all about. So, um, I think he made a joke once about if he wrote a book or something or just all the stories he could tell. So he's been through a lot for sure. Um, so yeah, he had the eye injury that year, um, missed a game. He was having surgery. He had, he had an eye patch on for some games, um, had like no vision out of his eye, but tough through it. Um, which we love him for they, that season finished with the number six defense. So, um, so building off the previous season, um, still having a very elite defense, um, and the number 23 offense and, I don't know. I don't remember too much from that season as far as kind of what was wrong with the offense other than North Turner quitting halfway through. Right. And you're bringing in a new quarterback, but I mean, still the offensive line for sure. Um, Adrian tore his meniscus that year. Right. Um, So he was out for most of the season. So that was probably a big factor as well. Um, Maybe part of yeah. it is Sam Bradford not being the same type of quarterback as Teddy Bridgewater and kind of what this is built for and that sort of thing too, but kind of inexplicable to go from um, number 10 to number 23 like that, but also understandable with the major, you know, your two most important guys got hurt. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. I think um, kind of one of the biggest things, and I'll give Zim props for this is the Vikings started five and oh, and then finished that season what three and eight to, to finish eight and eight. And then to finish those last 11 games, eight or three and eight, and then to come out in 2017, you still don't have Teddy back. Um, you're, you're rolling with Bradford. Um, Adrian's gone at that point. The Vikings do add Delvin cook, but 2017, I think is, is definitely Zim's calling card or, or signature year with, 
for his time in, in Minnesota. That's the, um, and to do it the way they did it, even, I mean, Bradford gets injured after week one, tries to come back for a bears game and, and plays a quarter maybe. And then case takes over. Um, yeah. And this is why I think this is why the Teddy injury is probably the most significant because, you know, we thought they were peaking in 2016 or on the rise at least, but 2017 is really the year that they peaked. So if you imagine Teddy, even one more year in, um, whether it's with Norv or Pat Shermer or whoever. Um, but I think with him in that role, plus another, another first round pick that they would have had with Bradford, right. Um, that was the year that they were peaking. And I think if you have a healthy Teddy Bridgewater in his fourth year, you know, I'll take that over, over case Keenum for sure. So who, who knows what well, they could have done. Plus the the additional salary cap you have for not paying Sam Bradford, which if anybody knows anything about Sam Bradford is he did very well in his time in the NFL. Um, laid the groundwork for Kirk Cousins, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Vikings had the number one defense this year um, in 2017. And I believe they, this is the year they set the record for, for their, their third down mm-hmm. defense. Um Number 10 offense with case, I think is a real testament to, to Pat Shermer and, and Delvin then, getting hurt too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Delvin was hurt after week four. I forgot about that. Um, but then you have the, the Minneapolis miracle. They may get to the NFC championship, which is kind of folklore for the Minnesota Vikings and um, proceed to come out, take a seven and seven to zero lead and then give up 38 unanswered, which you and I watched that game together and you and I both kind of were out on case the entire I watched year. the first three quarters uh, at least. Yes. Yeah. And I think Zim was Zim saw the writing on the wall with case as well. Um, the, just the, the plays that he were making that he was making were not sustainable. Um, and so you and I had talked about after they had locked up their seating and whatever, and maybe taking a look, um, at Teddy, which they did for a series in that Bengals game. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And this is maybe, maybe this is like a mini fork or like a salad fork in the road, but, um, the other time to do that would have been, cause it, it wasn't in the, once you make the playoffs, like you can't change quarterbacks, right? Like I understand that, but I think it was the Washington game where Teddy was activated, um, for the first time. And this is like right after the bye week, maybe week nine or 10 or something like that. In case played, well, I don't know if I could say he played well, but they won the game and he had a couple of touchdowns and they get a couple of picks too. Um, and so that a lot of people were speculating at the time, like when would Teddy's time come? And that was kind of when case, I guess, grabbed the job, even though Zimmer hated it the whole time. But um, that's, I think based on what everything they've said, I don't think Teddy was ready to be, to fully like, you know, be the starter and, potentially be better than what case did but that would have been the time to do it and i do think that at his best teddy what teddy gives you is gonna be better for this team because we knew case was gonna was gonna throw it away and he did it a few times so um but yeah that that kind of would have been the time i think to maybe take a look but with the way that season went i can understand how it how it went down right for sure but yep um if anyone wants to hear us talk about the Minneapolis miracle, go back to our August podcast from um, where we talked about our top, top moments of games that we've been to. Um, and that was of course, number one. So we had a good conversation about that. So go check that out if you missed it, but yeah, this was definitely when that roster was peaking and that defense was peaking, you know, the offense was built around the two running backs as far as Latavius and, and Jarek McKinnon. And then um, really just, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs winning jump balls, um, which worked out. So, you know, number 10 offense, like you said, and yeah, that was certainly the, the team that, or what Zim was building to for those four years, right. Was that team. Um, and that leads us to 2018, which was one of the other, um, this is the, I'd say the fork in the road with the most options, which was after that season. And it's a tough I mean, it's a good spot to be in. You just came off the NFC championship. You have a really good roster. You have options, but you have basically four quarterback options, right? Well, you could say five. Um, The three on your roster, Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum are all free agents. 
sign a free agent quarterback, spoiler alert, Kirk Cousins, or draft a rookie or like a combination of the two, like Case and a rookie or Teddy and a rookie or whatever. Um, so those are your options. Um, and I know we as a fan base all weighed them and the Vikings weighed them as well. Um, what did you think they should do there and what could have been different had they made a different decision? I always thought um, that they should, and and I'm a Teddy guy to a fault. So I thought they should go with Teddy. And if we were as concerned, which everyone was very concerned about the makeup of his knee, mm-hmm. then then you draft a guy, another guy. Um, and I don't, looking back on it now, I don't think the Vikings were ever going to take Lamar Jackson. He's not really the, he, he came out of Louisville just like Teddy, but, but they are completely different quarterbacks right. in, in the way that they play. Um, but we were always on the, or I was always on the, the thought process of you sign Teddy for 10 million a year, whatever it may be, and then draft a rookie. And then you have that cap space to, to keep your defense together and, and, and build the team the way you wanted to. Now, the Vikings, spoiler, go out and sign Kirk Cousins, and I completely flip my narrative and watch a couple YouTube videos of mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins making good throws under pressure, and, and I was in at the time. But yeah, I, I I never, and maybe it's part of the just being a Vikings fan in general since my era, but we've never really had the the guy at quarterback, and so going out and paying the top market rate for a quarterback wasn't something that, that I thought would make our team the best. Yeah. I mean, coming into this year, they had not had the same guy start the start week one for like four or five years. So it was very understandable. Like stability is what you need. I was, you know, cause there, there was a big debate about case or Teddy, like just who's better in general. You know, we both fell on the Teddy side of that, but I, I was thinking too, the other option sign both of them for, you know, similar deals and see who wins it out in, in training camp, right? Like if Teddy's healthy enough or roll it back with case and see, you know, how it goes. And then if it doesn't work out, look to the draft or something like that. But I was also downtown on the week of the Super Bowl, Um, And after meeting Chris Carter, which was really cool, I run into Kirk cousins on the street and say hi to him. And he, he charmed me a little bit. He was very nice. Um, <laughs> he complimented my Vikings, uh, 1998 purple rain hat. Um, and so I was in, I was I actually, I lied to his face. I said, I'm a big fan of your game. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> at the time I was, I mean, we were a fan of any quarterback that starts every game, right. And puts up decent numbers. So, um, so I get it. Um, obviously it was the wrong decision. I think that's fair to say, maybe that's not obvious to other people yet, but, um, it has not worked out. That's for sure. So that was the fork in the road. A lot of people have been talking about as Zimmer was coming to the end here, how he was less than enthused about the Kirk cousins idea and basically said um, before Kirk was signed that if we sign a quarterback for $40 million, we're going to lose our defense. Um, He said that at the combine and was like, if we, you know, we have to make the right decision here, I'm probably going to get fired and it took four years, but, um, but here we are. So um, I think, I think more than Kirk cousins being who he is, they went against kind of what the identity of Zimmer's team was, right. They tried to do both or have both. Um, and I think that's why it kind of split from there. Um, and they were never able to really put it back together. So, um, so that's what I say about that, but you have any other thoughts on that? No. Yeah. I, I just agree with you. There is, it, it's really kind of damning to go back and, and, see those comments from the combine and then see the the route that we went. And like you said, it did take four years, but it, it played out exactly how Zimmer said it mm-hmm. would, um, which, I mean, this isn't this, Rick had his day last yeah. week, but um, I put that a, a lot on Rick because I don't, I don't see Zimmer standing on the table, banging the table for, for Kirk for Cousins. Sure. For sure. So, yeah, so the big addition, of course, was Kirk Cousins that year. I think it was three years, 84 million, all guaranteed. Um, they also drafted Mike Hughes and Brian O'Neill um, and added John Filippo as offensive coordinator who had just been come from the Eagles who won the Super Bowl. So that was 
that too i don't that's another he, interesting part of this like because he just was never a fit for zimmer so i don't know why he was like did rick make that call did was there a someone else that like influenced zimmer to hire him because they just they just were never compatible and he was so the the issue i have with that with with john d filippo was he was he wasn't even the oc in philly he was the right the quarterbacks coach and Doug Peterson, I believe was calling the plays still at that time. So he's still, I don't know, two, two mm-hmm. times removed from, from play calling. And then we turn over our offense to him. So again, and he was also hired all, before free agency. So I don't know how much he had the decision of Kirk cousins too, which if they entrusted that to him and then he made it all of like 10 games, that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah that, that's a mistake if, if he if he was the defining voice in that conversation. Yep. But in the Vikings tell all, I'd like to see how the 2008 offensive coordinator hiring went. Mm-hmm. 2018, yeah, um, yeah. So they yeah. ended up going eight, seven, and one. Um, that tie being the game at at Lambeau, which was very entertaining. I think it was week two. Um, number nine defense, so maintaining you know not as good as the year before, but maintaining a top ten defense and number nineteen offense. So and again they were the number ten offense with Case Keenum and Latavius Murray, and then they were the number nineteen offense with Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. So and John DiFilippo. So that's rough. Um, for Z- as far as Zimmer goes, he was he felt they went too far as far as passing and not running. Um, and I think that's true in some cases, um, but just never worked out. DeFilippo got fired in the season, late in the season, but before the end of the season and gave way to, I believe, Stefanski, right? Yeah, Stefanski. I think he took over for a, a Dolphins game and they scored three touchdowns in the first half. So everybody mm-hmm. was all in at oh, that yeah. point. But yeah, so Stefanski takes over in the the last part of 2018 and then rides into 2019 as the offensive coordinator um and one thing i'll point out kind of in all of the years in in mike zimmer's tenure to this point is the offense has ranked better than the defense um in in the scoring metric and so 2019 comes along and, and nothing changes in that regard they add garrett bradbury which by all accounts at the time was the most um for sure pick that, that it was mm-hmm. going to work out Irv Smith. And then Alexander Madison, like we said, Stefanski's offensive coordinator. Um, they go 10 and six and, and get a wild card. Um, was this the year that the bears won the division? I believe so. I remember? Yeah. I, well, or the double doink. I think that might be right. I don't think so. Cause I saw something recently that the Vikings and bears have not made the playoffs the same year in like 20 years or something really I, I mean that could be but like the vikings get the wild card and and they have to travel to new orleans um and and this is kind of a we called it fork in the road but kind of a moment that people have looked back on and say that the the wild card win in 2019 kind of set the Vikings on another path that that ended up not going well. I think after that wild card win, people are much more in on extending Kirk at the time. Um, and if we anybody watched that game, the only reason we won is because of Mike Zimmer. He had one Anderson of the games of his Bejo. life. Yeah, he had Anderson Dejo following in the slot corner Thomas. <laughs> And ever since Neil were coming from the Russian from the inside, it was a masterclass from Mike Zimmer that game for sure. Yeah, people did not give the Vikings a chance. The Saints were like, I guess they didn't have a buy, but they were the dark horse team to you know win the NFC like they were several times, even the year of the Minneapolis Miracle, right? Um, and it was yeah, it was a a great win by the Vikings. Kirk came up big too, um, so I can understand. You know, people were like you know, they were going to hire Stefanski and, and they were going to, you know, who knows what they do with Kirk, but basically Stefanski being the big, the big one there. I don't know how you fire Mike Zimmer after having the number five defense and number eight offense that year. Um, and really they probably should have been better with given those ratings. Um, 
the Achilles heel was the offensive line once again, and that got really exposed for the um, San Francisco game the following week. So, right. But yeah, that de- definitely talked them into, and Kirk had all the leverage after that um, for the two-year extension. So that's kind of got them to where they have been the last two years. Yeah. And I think, so that's year two of Kirk. And then you, you have the third year coming up in 2020. Um, but like you said, Kirk has all the leverage because when he does negotiate his, his extension, um, that's when kind of the, the salary cap is really, really becoming a, a concern for the Vikings. Um, and we, we see it as time goes on. Yep. But they did get rid of the, the no trade clause. So maybe that will come up big this off season. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a, they were a good team that year. And I'm, you know, I think maybe the offensive line being the, the biggest reason, but um, probably could have been even better. Um, but even beating the saints was a, was a good accomplishment. So this is where things change drastically. So 2020, Again, the Vikings had the number five defense this year, 2019. So they had been a top 10 defense every year of Mike Zimmer's time, except for the first year where they were number 11. So five years in a row, top five defense with the same core. They lose Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander. And there may be a couple others too. Um, that offseason. They also trade Stefan Diggs for Justin Jefferson, which worked out nicely, but still we loved digs. So, um, and they extend Kirk cousins. So all those <laughs> departures, they <laughs> add just Jefferson. Great. Jeff Gladney, Ezra Cleveland and Cam Dantzler. Let me find the starting defense for this year, actually, because <laughs> it was just, yeah. And I'll say, and I was all for Wayne's leaving to get paid and, and whatever, but losing and Xavier was slipping. They were getting old, but like that, that's a problem yeah, with not replacing slipping. Anyone. He was slipping, but when you asked him to follow a number one receiver around, he normally rose to, to the occasion still at that point. But when you clean out your cornerback room, and Mike Hughes hasn't been able to really stay on the field to that point enough to, to really get enough in-game reps to be great. I think that was, that was really hard. Okay. So this is the defensive starters for the 2020 Minnesota Vikings defense. Again, they had had that same core and a number five defense heading into, you know, through the 2019 season they started and also Daniil Hunter got hurt or missed the, missed the season. So their defensive starters, Yannick Ngakwe, Fadio Denebo, because mm-hmm. um, they lost, yeah, they lost Everson too. Um, Shamar Stephan, Jaleel Johnson, Troy Dye, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr got hurt in the first game, I believe. Um, so and then Eric Wilson. And then your corners are Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney. And then your safeties are Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. So that's nice. But other than that, just crazy how much turnover and not replacing them with, with anyone even close to the same level. Um, and they fell from the number five defense to the number 29 defense in 2020. Yeah. And obviously nobody can, can really control the injuries, but when you have that much turnover on, on one side of the ball, I don't know how much I, I can really put on, on Zim for that. Um, obviously he's in charge of coaching the players, coaching them up. There's they've contributed or, um, they've got Mike Hughes in the draft and, and they've spent a little bit of draft capital on, on the defense, but, um, (laughs) the entire essential defensive line has changed with Hunter being hurt. Um, you have nobody coming up in the linebacker room other than Kendricks and Barr. And then like we've talked about, all of your corners are essentially new. So yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't pass the rush. Wall. They couldn't pass rush and they couldn't cover that year. So that's why they had the number 29 defense and they ended up going seven to nine. I've um, had number 11 offense. So um, down a little bit from the previous year, but um, did pretty well offensively with Gary Kubiak now in the role 
of offensive coordinator. So um, they narrowly missed the playoffs. And this was, I mean, just at this point is where they had to go fully in on we're an offensive focused team. Kirk Cousins is, is our, you know, highest played guy by a lot. And, you know, the identity of the team has to change and it never reflected the identity of the head coach or what he had been building. So that's why they ended up um, as they did. So uh, any other thoughts on 2020? I know we've talked all through the 2021 season, so we can give the numbers quickly, but um, yeah, any thoughts on 2020? No, not really. I just, I think that 2020 really was kind of the year that, that did Mike Zimmer in, Um, but I'm just looking back over what we've talked about here. And I go back to the 2015 draft and all of those rookies that made contributions. And then everybody's well aware that Mike Zimmer's on the hot seat. Rick Spielman's on the hot seat for the 21, 2021 season. And I would point to 2015 saying Mike Zimmer's not scared to play rookies if they're your best players. And we have, have yep. one rookie that makes a meaningful contribution. Yep. So the goal would have been, you know, for that defense to, you know, maybe every year you're replacing one of the starters with a guy that's going to be legitimate out there instead of losing, losing five guys to free agency, a couple more to injury, and then trying to replace them all in one, you know, in one draft class. So, you know, I don't have the contracts in front of me, like when they, you know, they all ended up running out at similar times, but there's ways that that could have happened. And I'm sure part of it was Zimmer too being, like these are my guys and I want to keep running it back with this same defense um, beyond maybe the window uh, after the window had closed. But that's why, you know, you need a, a GM that's going to also um, rebuild. And also I think just the break was, was the Kirk cousins deal. And then, you know, the identity never matching um, what Mike Zimmer had, had started um, in 2014. So 2021, we've been talking through it. Um, this whole season, um, Christian Dare saw the main addition, the only start, the only guy that played, um, the only rookie that played this year, they go eight and nine, they missed the playoffs, ended up finishing with number 24 defense. So not quite as bad as the, as previous years. So um, depending on the numbers that they could either look like the worst defense in the league or like league average defense. Um, I would tend to have them closer to league average, but, um, number 14 offense, which just is nowhere close to good enough with all the weapons that they had in the way that we knew this offense would have to be carried. So that's what did them in. Obviously Rick and Zim um, ended up no longer being on the same page. It sounds like they weren't even talking much down the stretch. And that was, I mean, I don't want to say Kirk Cousins cost us Teddy Bridgewater, Stefan Diggs and Mike Zimmer, but that's the decision that has gotten us to this point. So here we are. Right. Yeah. I think one thing that just looking back on Zimmer's time as well is, is Zimmer's a good enough coach that your floor is, is a fi- around a 500 team. Mm-hmm. His worst season, including his first, first season was seven and nine. So I think that's just a real Testament. I think Mike Zimmer was a very good coach. I think he was very good for the Vikings and very appreciative of what he's, he's done to kind of turn around this, this franchise you had mentioned Love Boat and, and Wizenator and and there was a point that or I think 2000 to 2014 the Vikings led the NFL in arrests mm-hmm. and I guess you can point to to Rick bringing in high character guys whatever but it seems like these last eight years have have not been the same in that regard yeah yeah I I, I don't think you can underestimate the the cultural shift that Zimmer brought in um with, I mean, when, when Lovey came in or when Lovey left, we were, sorry, not Lovey, Leslie, um, <laughs> Leslie Frazier. Um, when he was let go, I feel like it was pretty close to rock bottom for the franchise as far as not a lot to, um, to build on and not a lot to be proud of. Um, and I would say, you know, one of the things people were saying when Zimmer was let go, and I think it's very true, is just like he left the Vikings a lot better than he found them. Um, and that started right from his first year, um, building up a, a really good uh, culture. Um, and, and that gets, you know, any culture is going to get stale after eight years, unless you have, um, unless you're hitting all the right moves and all the right, um, you know, pushes forward throughout those years. So, so I think that's what happened um, through eight years. And that's a, a really great run in the NFL. Um, and it was time for a change, but yeah, we are very happy with the, 
the memories from the Mike Zimmer era um, and appreciate everything that he put into this franchise and couldn't quite get it done, but he definitely gave it everything that he had. So appreciate that. Um, and any other final thoughts you have on, on Zim? No, the only, the, I guess the final thought I have is in, in his short and sweet statement to the fans, he, he even signed off just apologizing that he couldn't get it done. And I think that's a, a true testament to how much he cared and how much he wanted to bring a Super Bowl to Minnesota. For sure. Yeah. He, he gave it everything that he had. That's for sure. So, yeah. So that's our look back at the Mike Zimmer era. Um, eight years is a long time in the NFL. So that's a, a significant, I mean, just thinking about all the players that were around in 2014 that are no longer around and the Vikings are in and, you know, have come to a new stadium and have been in there for a long time now. And yeah, we'll see what happens from here. Um, a lot to a lot that could potentially change this off season for the Vikings, but yeah, good to look at look back at the Mike Zimmer era. Hopefully, people Vikings fans uh, can look past the last couple of years and appreciate Zimmer for what he did and and what he brought to this organization. So, thank you, Ryan, for looking through this. Um, and we will check in whenever there's significant Vikings news, which I'm sure there will be plenty of this off season. So, thanks. Thanks. Let's go. Cool. So, Bar, we've got a question for you. On this team, who is the biggest suck-up to Coach Zimmer? Oh, wow. Honestly, I think I'd have to go with Everson. Everson. A lot of people have said Greenway. What is it that Everson does that's different? Everson, like, he likes when people tell him, like, he does a good job and, like, he looks for approval, right? So every every day, not every day, but a lot of the days, um, he will he'll know the answer to a question. And he'll say the answer, but then look right at coach to make sure that coach knows that he knows the answer. You know what I'm saying? And he'll be like, uh, for example, say he's supposed to be in the nine technique instead of a six, right? And he'll be like, well, I'm in the nine. I'm in the nine. And he'll look at coach like, I'm in the nine, right? I'm in the nine, right? And coach will be like, yeah, obviously. Like, obviously, you're in a nine. But he just likes, you know, people tell him, like, good job. And he, he needs that positive reinforcement. What's going on? So, so the question was, who on this team has been the biggest suck-up to Coach Zimmer? And right now... Oh, me. Myself. Hell yeah. 